Hey there, this is Danny Sunshine Bauer from Better Leaders, Better Schools, and the School Leadership Series, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and my special guest today is Dwight Carter, a longtime principal in Central Ohio who was named the 2013 National Association of Secondary School Principals Digital Principal of the Year. After spending 24 years as a teacher, coach, and administrator, Dwight is now a leadership and effectiveness coach for Dynamics LLC that partners with school districts to help them do things more efficiently and effectively. Dwight is the co-author of two books, What's in Your Space, Five Steps to Better School and Classroom Design, and his most recent offering is Leading Schools in Disruptive Times, How to Survive Hyperchange. Both books are from his experience as a high school principal, helping to navigate students, teachers, administrators, and parents through the complexity of our world today. Dwight is also a popular keynote speaker and presenter who often places a focus on working with post-millennial students that we know today as Generation Z. Be sure to follow Dwight at Dwight underscore Carter on Twitter, and be sure to check out his two books, Leading Schools in Disruptive Times and What's in Your Space. These are both great resources for your leadership library. As always, folks, thanks for listening and supporting the podcast. Please help share out episodes with the Reimagined Schools hashtag. And I hope you enjoy this conversation with Dwight Carter. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. It's a great honor to have a longtime friend of the podcast back with us. He's a former National Digital Principal of the Year. Dwight Carter. How are you, Dwight? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Greg? Good. Uh, we were just talking a little bit off air. Uh, you had a, a long and distinguished career as an outstanding principal in central Ohio, and now you've moved into a little bit of a different role as an effectiveness coach, a leadership coach per se. Yeah. And uh, a- after having so much success as a building principal, What's that transition been like? Is it, are you missing the kids or missing the school day? Or are you just uh, so engaged in the work you're doing today that uh, this is where you want to be? Yeah, uh, I'll answer the last question first. It's definitely where I want to be, um, but it doesn't come without um, emotionally missing the kids and missing, missing the, the day-to-day function, operation, decision-making, um, just every aspect of school. I mean, I definitely miss just the, um, the interactions with students, you know, helping them through things, um, their energy, their excitement, um, their, their disappointments and helping them, you know, coaching them through that. Um, so I missed that part of it. And that's been, um, it's been a a decent adjustment, but it's still been challenging because again, you know, in my whole, nearly my entire, entire adult life, I've been in a schoolhouse in some capacity. So now I don't have that, um, 
that one connection to a school, but at the same time, I'm really establishing some um, deep, meaningful relationships with principals and, and school staff in other districts, not just in Central Ohio, but across the country, and that's been really rewarding. You know, I, I've really watched this um, this idea of principals or even superintendents using a leadership coach or an effectiveness coach. That's really still kind of a new concept to a lot of people. And yeah. you, you see uh, mastermind groups popping up and different right. opportunities to engage. But I think back to my experience as a principal, even as a superintendent, a lot of times we just have no place to turn to right. other than going to a conference or maybe reading a good book. Right. So just, just talk a little bit about what are the benefits of using someone like you in that leadership capacity? Well, if you think about it, every, nearly every industry, and most of us are sports fans, and regardless of the level of athleticism or the elite level of the athletes we watch, especially with the, in the NBA, you know, Steve, uh, Stephen Curry is one of the premier shooter, shooters in the country, um, in the league as a player. He still has a shooting coach. So it doesn't matter the level, but that coaching comes in because we constantly need um, need critique, correction, um, encouragement, and not always validation. And sometimes we seek validation um, at the expense of correction and critique. And I'm just as guilty of that as anybody because I'm, I'm a words guy. Um, I need words of affirmation to, to fill my tank. Um, and so realizing that um, when I was in uh, New Albany, the four, out of the four years I was working in New Albany, three of those years, um, I ended up, I was working with uh, a guy named Dr. Tom Fry. And Tom Fry was brought in because we, we made some cuts to our central office staff. So he, he came in as a testing coordinator and helped us with some data analysis. And he and I formed a, a relationship and a friendship. And he um, essentially became my, my personal leadership coach through that process, unbeknownst to me. But we were just having conversations. Then I, was, I admired his work and I realized he was great at coaching by asking questions, providing uh, recommendations for processes to use to get from point A to point B, point B all the way to point Z. And then um, along those lines, our athletic director, Richie Wildinghouse, introduced me to a guy named Jack Slavinsky. And Jack is a leadership coach. Um, and he, through working with my leadership team, um, my administrative team, and then our student leaders. I, I admired his work, watched him. We became really good friends. Um, and I realized that uh, I was going to him for advice, for correction, um, for suggestions and ideas on how to, how to continue to move the building appropriately. And he helped me um, really respond appropriately and positively to some negative feedback that was received in a survey. And so he helped me just take a step back, process it, and he says, okay, now let's break it down in small bite-sized pieces and how to respond to it. And so, I, like I said, I, knowing um, I was still uh, at a point where I was wanting to develop my skill as a leader, and I found somebody to do that. And fortunately, our dish, we were already working with them. It was at that point I realized, like, man, if I can use this as a building principle to become much more effective, how many other people could also use the same thing? And so working with Tom, working with Jack, um, I had an opportunity to um, uh, interview for um, the effectiveness position with Dynamics, the group I'm working with now, who Tom, who Tom works for, that Tom works for, and uh, apply 
not just my experience as a school leader, but now my experience as an effectiveness coach, combine those two things and helping other people. It's just been, it's been very rewarding. Um, it's really exciting work and uh, it's, it's, it's enjoyable. Like it's a lot of fun. You know, I, I think you and I share a lot of the same general philosophies about what school should look like today and how to transform a school. Yeah. Uh, I were both of that mindset that we have to change that traditional way of thinking. But right. I think you and I can both agree that probably the greatest obstacle for any school leader is fear because trying something new takes courage. Yes. And, and you've talked about taking risk and, and why that's so valuable in uh, you know, continuing your journey as a school leader. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I mean, I've taken a huge risk to leave the principalship where I was fairly successful. Um, had a, I still have a great career in education, but now I'm, long, I'm, I'm in a much different role. And so um, there's financial risk, there's professional risk, there's personal risk, um, there's security risk, you know, uh, there's just a, not security in terms of my physical safety, but security in terms of um, meeting the, the financial needs of my family. Um, because I'm moving in a different role from a, an employee to a contracted position and having to um, almost sell what we offer. Um, because the, it's more than just having the experience as a school leader. It's okay, how can you help me? in my immediate situation to be effective? And then is that risk worth the cost? And so that, that's, that's what I've learned the last, you know, three or four months, five months as I've been doing the position. Um, but along, along those lines of reimagining schools, I think the model of having school leaders have coaches that are not affiliated with the district, it takes away the subjectivity, it takes away the evaluative process, it takes away the formality of um, getting feedback, it makes it much more personal, much more direct, much more specific to that building leader. And then there's that trust that can be established because me as a coach, I'm not directly affiliated with that district. So they can be much more open and vulnerable and we can really dig down deep into, you know, what's really causing the issue and then how can we, um, what processes and what steps and frameworks can we use to help you become a better leader to lead your people and then to empower other people to make, make other people to make decisions and then transform the entire school culture. Uh, so I think that's a model that really should be examined and uh, reviewed as a way to truly transform schools because everything rises and falls on leadership mm. and the, the principal plate is becoming much more full, just like every, every, every level of education, the plates are getting more full. Um, but the supports don't always match that. So a different model can help. And not only do you have great experience as a building principal, but you're also the author of two fantastic books. And the one I want to talk about first is Leading Schools in Disruptive Times, How to Survive Hyper Change. And that came out, I think, in 2017. Yes. Uh, but that is a, a fantastic guide, if you will, um, to, to help school leaders figure out how to navigate their way through all this change. And mm -hmm. I love that the, the fact that survive is, is part of the title because yes. sometimes we feel like survival is probably at the top of the uh, to-do list. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Um, just because, you know, the, the, and the key in that is, is hyper change. And we're in a time of hyper change because information is, um, is, is growing 
you know, every 12 months now. So there's more information that's coming. There's more access to information. There's a more demand for information. And with that demand for information, people want clarity. People have questions or response to their questions. Um, and there's so much information that we're taking in, either through text, video, um, all forms of multimedia. It's like, how do we navigate through all that, make it concise, and then use it to make decisions? And so um, Mark White and I, Mark White is the co-author, um, have so much love, respect, and admiration for him. And so he um, came up with a framework we call CAT, which is Cope, Adjust, and Transform. So it's not a matter of if a school leader or school is going to face a disruption, it's a matter of when. And so when those disruptions happen, the framework that we came up with is, you know, in the first 24 to 48 hours, you have to cope with that, meaning respond to it in an appropriate manner just to squelch fears, squelch concern, uh, concerns, and then um, gather facts, gather, gather information, and then make a decision. And then once that initial first step or reaction is, is, is taken care of, you then have to look at, you know, what happened to create this situation or the cause of the situation to occur and then adjust the conditions to prevent that from happening in the future. And then once, you know, after two or three months of looking at that, examining it, adjusting your practices, you then have to transform the policies, practices, and the procedures to prepare for the next disruption that occur. And so it's a nice framework that provides a timeline and then a multi-step process to help, help leaders um, respond to, let's say, increasing diverse population. And I don't mean diverse in terms of uh, race and ethnicity. I'm talking about diverse in thought, diverse in SLS, diversity in terms of gender and equity. I mean, there's so many levels of diversity now um, that schools are, are facing. And so how do you use that CAT process to make sure you transform your organization and still maintain a positive climate and culture? And I also like the fact that uh, you talk a lot about if you're going to lead schools, you have to understand how kids have changed. Yes. And we've talked a lot about uh, Gen Z and how yeah. kids today are different. But yeah. too many times adults don't either take the time to look at the research or if they don't acknowledge or validate the fact that they're going to have to do something different in the classroom. Yeah. And that difference um, truly is responsive to the types of students we have in the classroom now. For example, um, Generation Z, they need voice, choice, um, advocacy. Um, they need to find their own agency. Um, they crave the using of technology, but the pendulum is also starting to swing on that where they want more face-to-face -face time and relationship time with actual people in their presence. But we also, we're also seeing a diminishing skill set in how to interact with people and face-to-face but they're craving that. Like there's a lot of research that shows they want more face-to-face -face time. They just don't know how. So they, they're disruptive or they're fearful of that face-to-face -face time. And so knowing that, looking at some of the models or strategies that are very popular with the social emotional learning, I think the reliance on technology has, I guess, um, somewhat led to the need for social emotional learning strategies, but simple strategies like just greeting them at the door allowing like a few minutes of conversation or centering with students in a classroom to help them focus on what's the task at hand after the relationships are being established because they're craving it. I mean, they're really craving it. Um, and I think 
um, that'll help us build that resiliency that students need in order to be successful in this hyper change society that we live in now. And I think the last time we talked, it's been a couple years ago, your daughter wasn't in school yet, but now she yeah. is. And yeah. I was looking through your Instagram feed this morning and saw <laughs> that you were the mystery reader in her class and how excited she was. So I, I guess my question uh, to that is, how do you see things through a much different lens now as a parent than you did as a school administrator? Wow, that's a great question. Um, knowing what I know from the educator side um, and observing my daughter's teacher, Mrs. Shirk, who is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I've been had an opportunity to, to volunteer in the classroom. Like you said, today I was a, a guest reader. I now understand, I completely understand the importance of early literacy. Like I truly understand. Like it is so important. Um, and I can see where I can see where my students, some of my students struggled with literacy um, as a either a late high, middle schooler or early high school student is because there may have been some missing strategies at, at a younger age. And then that was covered up by disciplinary problems because they didn't they didn't have the skill to read appropriately or read effectively then they acted out and then then that sends them down an entirely different track so knowing that like we make sure we read to gabby you know at least 30 minutes a day and a, a night she looks forward to reading together um and just you know w listening to her watching her um just have success and identifying sight words and reading those words and proud and being proud of when she reads a sentence out loud, but also see, and this is something we were working on with her as well. Um, the, the messaging that she tells herself is what we're working on. Like when she doesn't succeed at something, she says, I can't do it. I can't do it. And we just, you know, have to calm her down and says, you're not, you don't know how to do it right now, but you're making progress. See how far you've come. And that's, that's so important. Um, to, to, uh, for her to establish that the mindset of yet. I can't do it yet. I may not be able to do it right now, but I can't do it yet. And, and, be, and be okay with that. Um, and so as I trace back and think about some of the students I've worked with over the years who had a really hard time with a, what seemed to me like a minor failure, but to them was a major crisis. And I think it goes back to um, the, their, their self-talk was negative, but it, and it was never changed early on to like how to have positive self-talk when you don't meet your standard or don't meet your goals. So we're, we're really working on that now. Um, and I see that even more, I mean, being a parent now, I see how significantly more important that is, um, as, as educators to give kids, kids, excuse me, teach skills, teach students the skills to re respond to a setback or a, a quote-unquote failure in their eyes by starting with their their self-talk because the stuff we say to ourselves has a major impact on our outlook in life yeah that's very well said and and you know personally speaking i don't think we spend enough time dealing with that social emotional aspect uh, in the in the daily classroom, it seems like we're always worried about content or how yeah. many spelling words we got through or yeah. the next level reader. But yeah. I mean, if we took if we took a little bit more time to uh, you know build some of those positive attributes, I think that would go a long way toward their ultimate success. Yeah, and and thinking about reimagining schools, 
uh, it has to be viewed as a part of the work, not not in addition to the work or separate from the work. For example, um, I need to teach this content, or I need to teach them how to um, persevere. I think no, the, the skill you develop skill through the content that you're teaching, and how you do that is you weave it into the your in, in, intentional planning. The what questions are you what questions are you asking? What processes do you have in place? What are some of the resources that are that are available? Um, what lessons are you teaching through the content so that the students can develop the skill over time? And then have like weekly or you know a five minute meeting per day in class to talk about what are the skills that are being developed? Like, what did you learn about this character? Or, you know, helping, having students uh, and having teachers model the struggle process so they can see what comes out on the end. And just modeling that behavior and constantly encouraging students to, I guess, take a more um, micro level of cope, adjust, and transform. Mm -hmm. And just reteaching that, um, at a, again, at a much more personal level. Uh, Tim and Brian Kite, um, they have this, this saying that says, and I'm, I'm thinking, I'm, more, I'm tying this now to um, teacher development. We hire for job skill, but we're fired for personal skill. So the technical skill is what's taught in schools. The personal skill is learned over time. But that's the reason why we typically have a failure. It's a personal skill. So how do we do both? How do we teach job skill and personal skill at the same time? And this is probably a good uh, time to segue into your second book. I know you're very passionate about school space. You did some amazing things when you were at Gahana Middle School and High School. Uh, and you're the co-author of another book entitled What's in Your Space? Five Steps to Better School and Classroom Design. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a few years ago, the, the school space flexible uh, seating movement really kind of took off. And had great momentum. Are yeah. you seeing more and more schools adapt to those type of uh, principles if, as they think about building new schools or remodeling what they have? Yes. Um, through ICLE, I'm working with the district in Blue Valley, um, Kansas, which is right outside of uh, Kansas City, Missouri. Um, they have a, they're, they just built a brand new, or not brand new, I should say the high school is like 10 years old, but it looks like it was built like last year. It is phenomenal. Um, wide spaces, wide, wide, really wide staircases, um, natural light, a lot of flexible seating. And then the other four remaining high schools are transitioning to um, what I'll call Z spaces. They're utilizing the entire learning, excuse me, the entire building as a learning space and not just the classrooms. For example, uh, four out of the five principals um, have already either started removing locker bays or in the process of moving locker bays because the kids aren't using lockers anymore. And they're utilizing that space for additional learning space. So um, I was observing, I think I was in there February, and each of them have a period in which the kids have flexibility. So lunch is coupled with 30 minutes of a flex time. So they call it like, for example, if they're the Jaguars, it's called Jag time or Jag hour. So during Jack hour, you can eat lunch and then you can go into any flexible space that you want uh, in small groups or individuals or um, work with teachers. And that's a great opportunity for kids to see and to model and the schools to model, you know, this is your time. This is your space. How do you use it? It's up to you. But here are the boundaries and expectations that we have in place. Had they not removed the locker base, they wouldn't have the opportunity or the space to think outside the box um, to do something different. 
and they're having great success with it. And so that's just one example of a district. And, uh, and I jokingly said, have you guys read, you know, what's in your space? Because some, some of the concepts you have in place are what, you know, what, what's written in that book. They haven't, but it's going to be a book study in one of the schools because they're, they're going through a completely um, complete school redesign. So they're really right in the midst of it. And so hopefully this, the, the, the book can be a great resource for them um, because there's research in there. There's um, uh, processes and a, a framework to follow and guiding questions to ask um, so that they can avoid some of the landmines that we may have um, stepped on in the, in the process. I know you're still doing a lot of public speaking and probably get to answer questions about both books in addition to uh, just general experiences that you've had. What are some of the most common questions you get as you go out and work with folks? Cost. How much does it cost to, to make some of these changes? Um, and we were fortunate enough to build a building from ground up. Not everybody can or will have that opportunity. So we make sure we highlighted um, districts, teachers, um, school leaders who were doing things with little or no budget. So we just say, you know, in our, 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 our biggest, greatest response is just start small. Like instead of thinking about an entire hallway, think about one classroom. Instead of thinking about an entire classroom, think about one space in the classroom. And so we break it, or, you know, we encourage people to just break it down step by step. Um, and then in terms of like responding to the needs of Generation Z, don't think about all 150 students that you have. Think about one section of the five classes that, that you have. And if one section is too much, think about one kid in the one class that you can do something different for. And that, that seems to um, minimize the stress and anxiety and people feeling overwhelmed. It's like, oh, I, I can do that. You know, I can do that with one person. I said, just do that with one person, one, one, one area in the classroom, one unit if you want to, or one class, and then track your progress and then implement change in that fashion. Well, folks, you certainly want to follow Dwight Carter on Twitter. He's at Dwight underscore Carter, Dwight Carter, and uh, doing some amazing things, uh, now working as an effectiveness coach. And Dwight, as we kind of wrap up the conversation, uh, as I give you a closing thought, what are some things you could say to uh, encourage those school leaders that might need a little help? Or maybe there's a school district out there that has an interest in you coming to speak in their school district. How can they get a hold of you? And what can you say to get them excited about uh, leadership coaching? Okay. Um, well, you can get a hold of me via Twitter. Again, as you pointed out, is Dwight underscore Carter. Uh, you can also reach me via email at Mr. Dwight Carter. That's M-R-D-W-I-G-H-T-C-A-R-T-E-R at gmail.com. Um, either way, I'll respond to that. And I would say um, in terms of encouraging, encouraging words, uh, everything rises and falls on leadership. And even those at the very top of every industry, every industry has some form of coaching. And so if, if, if every industry is coaching in some capacity, why not start coaching and having coaches for educators? We create instructional coaches in our buildings. Uh, in our districts through math or literacy, which is a specific content area. But how much coaching are we really doing for the people across the board and probably the most influential people in the building, which are the building principals? Because again, as Todd Whitaker says, when a principal sneezes, the entire building catches a code. And there's no truer statement than that. And so if you want a healthy environment and want your coaches to be, or your leaders to be effective, you know, consider an effectiveness coach and leadership coach. I think you'll, um, you'll reap major benefits and it's definitely worth the cost. 
Well, Dwight, once again, thanks for your time. I always love talking with you. You bring incredible insight with all your experience. And folks, jump out there and get these two books. They're fantastic. They will help transform your school. So, Dwight, thanks, and have a wonderful rest of this school year. All right. Make it a great year or not. The choice is yours. <laughs> all right, folks. Thanks for listening, as always. And remember, always do what you can in your school and community to create better schools for kids. Thank you for listening to the Reimagined Schools podcast with Dr. Greg Goins. Be sure to continue the conversation on social media with the Reimagined Schools hashtag and subscribe to the podcast at reimaginedschools.net. You can also help support this podcast by clicking on the listener support link and making a small monthly contribution. Contact Dr. Greg Goins today to invite him to speak or present at your next education conference or professional development day. Please send inquiries to drgreggoins at gmail.com or on Twitter at Dr. Greg Goins.